There's been quite a bit of debate in recent months about who should be responsible for card fraud losses and card breach recovery expenses that result from a retail point of sale breach. While most experts agree payment security is a shared responsibility between banking institutions and retailers, they don't feel the playing field is equal. And even with the advent of chip cards that conform to EMV, we need to take a hard look at our existing security practices and hold retailers more accountable. To help dissect some of these questions the payments industry is now asking itself, I'm joined by Dennis Simmons, outgoing CEO of Swatcha, one of the largest regional payments associations in the country. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Dennis, before we jump into some of the more specific questions that are surrounding some of these retail breaches that we've had in the industry over the course of the last 12 to 18 months, could you give our audience some perspective about what your overall take of the state of security is within the payment system today? I think, Tracy, that you know, there's been a, a lot of advances in the area of technology. I think, as you mentioned, the advent of uh, chip and pen, chip cards in, in this country is certainly a, a step in the right direction. I think some of the announcements that we've seen coming out of uh, the Apple Pay announcement and things that are happening at, at the Clearinghouse, for instance, around tokenization, uh, are certainly key uh, key technology advances that we need to put into place. I think there's also a, a lot of discussion around the shared responsibility, but I think some of the shared responsibility has to extend beyond the retailers and the merchants into the banking industry, out to the users of, of these devices and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the major issues that I see coming out of EMV and tokenization is consumer confusion. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion uh, on the part of consumers about, well, I never had to put my pin in before. Why do I have to put in a pin now? Why can't I just swipe the card? Why do I have to dunk it? So there's going to have to be a tremendous amount of consumer education done about how this shift impacts them. And I think merchants, they're going to have to take some responsibility for educating the customers just like the banking industry as well. Dennis, from your perspective, being with the Payments Association, you really are kind of in the middle, I would say, working with retailers and banking institutions, and you probably get a more holistic perspective on exactly some of the losses that are suffered on both sides as well as the liability. Do you think that the banking industry is being fair to retailers right now? Well, I think you know, fair is, is probably a, a strong question. I think there's some arguments on both sides of the ledger. I think the amount of risk mitigation, absorption of losses that take place on the acquirer side has to be offset somehow through revenues flowing back to those organizations. The retailers have had a perspective that, well, this stuff is really expensive. What are we getting for it? And, and I, I will tell you, since I look across many, many payment networks, the fact that they get a guaranteed payment is certainly something that's worth paying for, in, in, in my opinion. They don't have that with check. They don't have it with ACH. So, you know, there are other payment mechanisms that are out there that are probably less expensive to operate, but none of them give that merchant the comfort of a guaranteed payment like the, like the authorization networks that are set up and operated by the major brands. Dennis, you spoke earlier about some of this shared responsibility and how it really does extend beyond just the merchants. It actually kind of extends out to consumers. And when we think about some of the education that's going to need to take place, whether it's Apple Pay or whether it's just using um, a chip card, if you will, there's a lot of customer education and I guess a lot of misinformation that's floating around out there when it comes to the consumer's responsibility. How would you help to define the role that consumers play here when it comes to ensuring that their cards aren't breached or their accounts aren't breached? 
Well, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of uh, education that still needs to be done, not only on some of these emerging channels, but the existing channels as well. I think there's a, a, a lot of education opportunities. Uh, we never seem to lack for education opportunities. On the part of the, the financial institutions to educate their customers, merchants to, to educate their employees and, and their customers, and consumers need to be aware of and understand the implications of how they choose, what method they choose to make a payment, and what the implications are that. So I think there's a tremendous amount of education. As I mentioned before, too, and we go about deploying tokenization and EMV, we're going to have to be a tremendous amount of communication within the industry out to the various stakeholders and constituencies, how these things work and how you use them and, and what are the pros and cons of each particular type of payment channel that you're utilizing. The other thing that we need to continue to, we've done this really a, a fairly decent job this October just recently being you know, cybersecurity awareness, is to continue that effort to make sure that consumers understand that they need to check their balances, they need to check their cards, they need to look at things, be more proactive in protecting themselves as well. Dennis, you'll be a featured speaker at ISMG's Fraud Summit in Dallas on November 18th. What do you expect to be among some of the top card security concerns that are raised during that summit? I think a lot of it's going to revolve around EMV and tokenization, certainly. But I think one of the things that is going to be discussed, and you'll probably hear a lot of discussion around this, is the morphing of the form factor of that plastic card into a mobile device or some other type of device, and each of those presents its own security concern. Near-field communication is certainly, a, it's, a, it's fast, it's easy, it's a, pretty easy to understand, but there are some security issues with NFC. Again, if I'm a consumer, I'm using a mobile device, and, but then I've got a chip card in my wallet. There's two different protocols, and each of which have their own security issues. I think, again, tokenization is going to be a big focus of this conversation around improving security. And I think the other point of discussion is going to be, yes, EMV is going to help with fraud in line, in, in the lane, but it's not going to help with fraud online or in, in the virtual space. And we've, we've got to figure out how to attack those things, I think, simultaneously because it's kind of like squeezing a balloon. You squeeze one in, the other end's going to bulge out. So we, we need to make sure that we're not losing sight of the whole picture of risk in, in this space. Dennis, you mentioned tokenization, and I'd like for you to perhaps elaborate here a bit. We've talked a lot in the industry about the movement and the migration, and it's now an accelerated migration toward EMV, which of course is the chip that could be um, contained inside these cards or mobile devices to enable payments. But what role do you see tokenization playing, and is that something that retailers and banking institutions are actually talking about right now? Tokenization is certainly a topic of some considerable Note, I know the Clearinghouse has been working for a couple of years on a, on a tokenization project. There's a lot of discussion about uh, tokenization to take the place not only of the 16-digit number on your card, but also for your routing number and account number credentials in the ACH space and the wire transfer space so that there is less need to expose all of your credentials to some third party. You can give them a token that is, is a stand-in for your true account credentials. You know, the timing of this is kind of the perfect storm because if I'm a merchant and I'm deploying an EMB terminal, I might as well do something with NFC and I might as well make sure that I'm communicating uh, with the cloud so that I can get a token and swap it and everything. Now, 
the pricing may be an issue, but that's just something that's going to have to be resolved, I think, in negotiations between the various card brands and the banks and the retailers. I'd like to go back for just a moment, Dennis, because I think some of this discussion surrounding tokenization and the, the timing, if you will, um, how it could be the perfect storm because it could actually impact so many different types of transactions that consumers conduct. Let's go back to talk a little bit about consumer education. In the card space, if fraud results from a transaction, a, a counterfeit card, the consumer is reimbursed by the issuing banking institution. But that's not always the case when it comes to other types of transactions, at least if it's a business. Where do you see customer education kind of falling into the fold there? And do you think that customer education is going to become a more complex issue in the future? I think the corporate community has a really good handle on what their responsibilities are and that sort of thing. I think consumers, by and large, have come to understand that you know they're basically not responsible for anything that happens to them, that someone is going to make them whole, whether it's the merchant or the bank or whomever. I think where we have some areas of concern really revolve around small businesses, nonprofits, so-called non-governmental organization, NGOs, and even some government subdivisions like you know, school districts and, and some of those kinds of things. Oftentimes the individuals who are responsible for the financial dealings of some of those organizations are consumers, they're volunteers, and they tend to think in terms of how they as a consumer are protected versus from a corporate perspective as a business, how am I protected? I think that's going to be a, a continuing challenge, especially with small businesses. You know, if you think about someone who has a one or a two, three person firm, oftentimes they continue to manage their affairs just like they were managing their personal and household affairs. And it's, it's a different environment and they've got to understand that and, and realize that they have risks that they would not have as a consumer. And then Dennis, before we close, are there any other points that you'd like to make about fraud security generally or some of the things that you think may come up at the summit? My remarks are really going to revolve around some of the human elements like the things we've been discussing. But I think one of the things that the industry can do is to make sure that banks dealing with their customers, that they set expectations of what's going to happen with that account over time. And while we're in the relationship setting the expectations, how it will be managed during the life of that relationship. And then ultimately where most of this comes out is, you know, if something goes wrong, all the finger pointing begins, is to start to try and set expectations at the beginning of the relationship about who's going to be responsible for what in the clearest possible terms and to make sure that each party understands their expectations. We've seen that play out in some recent court cases, and I'll be talking about that as well. Great, Dennis, and we look forward to seeing you at the summit. I want to thank you again for your time this afternoon. My pleasure, Tracy. Again, we just heard from Dennis Simmons of Swatcha. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.